My name is Ian Boswell. I was a world tour professional cyclist for seven years. Skyrider from the USA is a fighter. Well, Ian Boswell is turning up the cranks. Also the host of this fine podcast, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. The Breakfast with Boz podcast dives into the world of endurance sports, whether it's cycling, multi-sport, running, anything that inspires us to get out and move, we cover right here on Breakfast with Boz. Let's get cooking on Breakfast with Boz. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. I'm your host, Ian Boswell, in the kitchen with just... My wife this morning, our daughter is off with grandma, so we're having a quiet, peaceful morning. And Gretchen, you whipped up something. I think we've actually made Dutch babies before, but never an apple Dutch baby. What do we have here? Yeah. Oh, what did we make before? Did we make a blueberry one? I don't remember, but um, my mom always used to make these. I think I remember talking about this now for bed and breakfast guests. But we've got a lot of apples that have fallen off the trees, so we picked up some drops because they're sweeter. And kind of whipped up like a pancakey thing that you put in a cast iron in the oven. It's got four eggs, milk, flour, and cinnamon sugar, butter, um, and it kind of all puffs up like a souffle. And it's super easy and really tasty with some maple syrup. Well, there we have it. We're going to finish up our quiet breakfast as you get ready for another episode of Breakfast with Boz. In today's episode, I am joined by Dennis Connors, who is a recent world champion. He took that jersey a couple weeks ago over in Glasgow, Scotland, where he won his category in the paracycling division at the first ever UCI Super Worlds. But Dennis is much more than just a cyclist. He is also an avid rock climber and part of the American para rock climbing team. He is a skier, and prior to all of that, Dennis served with the U.S. Marine Corps from 2003 until 2012. Dennis has been on quite the journey. He has suffered numerous TBIs during the course of his military service. And then in 2020, Dennis suffered a stroke that kind of led to his cycling career and really his paracycling career. Um, All that said, Dennis is someone who continually overcomes curveballs that life throw at him, and he is on his way to hopefully making the Olympic para team for 2024 in Paris. So I hope you can all enjoy my conversation today with recent world champion, Marine Corps vet, rock climbing extraordinaire, and uh, at once upon a time, ski bum, Dennis Connors. Well, I'm joined by Dennis Connors from my home state in Oregon, uh, Beaverton, actually, nonetheless, home of home of Nike, right? Yeah, home of Nike. Well, Dennis, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a, a busy individual with with kids and sport and family and, and everything that goes with that. Um, but you've come off a big, big win recently over at the World Championships. But before that, I mean, let's go. Let's go back. I mean. Um, we are connected by, I guess, a mutual friend, your coach, someone who who I know as well, um, and reached out and you know had shared that you'd just won the Rainbow Stripes, which is awesome. But I've done a little bit of digging, been to your website, and kind of poked around the internet. But I'd rather rather hear the life story of of Dennis Connors from uh, from yourself rather than from the internet. So, 
where where'd you come from and how'd you get to to where we are now? Yeah, so I guess the quick quick down and dirty is uh, I grew up in California, partially down in the mountains in Southern California, like Big Bear area. Um, until I was about 10, and then we moved to the Bay, San Francisco Bay area, um, where I lived till I joined the Marine Corps when I was, uh, I joined when I was 17, but I didn't go to boot camp until I was 18. Uh, then I was in the Marine Corps for nine years, and I did three tours in Iraq and a small stint in South America for a bit. Got out of the Marine Corps in 2012. We moved to Salt Lake City for rock climbing and skiing. Um, got married when I was there. It was my fiance at the time, now my wife. Um, then from there we went, uh, we were there for three years. I went to graduate school uh, with an emphasis in outdoor recreation, just doing tons of rock climbing, tons of skiing. Um, and that's kind of how I found out about cycling. So I kind of started riding a little bit, but you know, big tough Marine. And I was like, no way I'm going to wear all that spandex. <laughs> and now like you look at my laundry and that's, 90% spandex and 10% clothes. Uh, so then uh, in 2015, a uh, coworker of my wife, she got a call from him. Um, he had gone from the company they were working at to Nike. They're like, hey, we're looking for someone with your skill set. Will you come out and interview for this job? She's like, yeah, I'll come check it out. But we were planning on moving. My daughter was about 10 months old at the time. We were super happy living in Utah, just like, tons of rock climbing tons of skiing tons of biking living our best outdoor life she called me and said this place is ridiculous we have to take this job and i said all right let's do it so we moved um 2015 um and that's kind of when like rock climbing went down and cycling went up um just for access purposes i could ride right out the door with my daughter in a trailer um but during that time, that's kind of when I started doing a lot more cycling, uh, got into a veterans program. And during that time, did some challenge rides, you know, for mental health, PTSD, um, that kind of just like fun veteran camaraderie rides. And there was a rider. She's like, hey, you should race after my third like California challenge where we ride down the coast. And I'm like, well, I'm not qualified to race in paracycling. She's like, what about your brain injuries? I don't have any brain injuries. What are you talking about? And she was like, well, you ride a bike. Like you, you definitely have brain injuries. So I started, you know, just talking to other veterans and they're like, yeah, you should probably get checked out for brain injuries. Um, that's probably why you're having all these balance issues on the bike and you're veering left and no one will ride around you. Uh, yeah. So I went in and found out that I had had multiple traumatic brain injuries and at some point I had had a stroke and I didn't know it kind of probably just toughed it out type thing um, which qualified me for paracycling um, and so in 2019 uh, that's when I met my current coach uh, he coaches that same athlete Sean uh, who got me into it and the pandemic started in 2020 so that was I did one race one bike race um, and then the pandemic hit. And in May of 2020, I had a second stroke, a more serious stroke. And it paralyzed my whole left side. And I spent nine months in rehab going, I got to get back on my bike. I got to get back on my bike. Um, and my coach was like, sorry, man, you're not getting back on a bike. But 
why don't we, while you're in recovery, try this trike, this tricycle thing. So I got the conversion axle and turned my bike into a trike and realized I should have been on this from the get-go. And from the get-go, I was like, well, I could ride in a straight line. Imagine that. Um, So that was the end of 2020, kind of like was able to get back on that. And then in 2021, did my first paracycling race um, on the trike, ended up winning uh, both the pad trial and the road race in that. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Like they immediately sent me to the world championships in Portugal so I could get my international classification. Um, and then I did the national championships after that and I won both the time trial road race. Um, and then 2022 rolled around and I got a spot on the U S team and started competing in the world cups. I mean, it's a, I mean, that's a long journey, a lot to, a lot to unpack there. I mean, I mean, even you kind of started off from, you know, being a kid, you know, 17 years old, signing up for the Marines, which, you know, when I was 17, I was already, you know, well into my spandex and shaving my legs and, you know, kind of almost the opposite, you know, um, opposite path. But, you know, when you were, when you were in the Marines, was there any, did you notice the, I guess the endurance side of sports at all. I mean, I'm sure you followed, you know, the major American, you know, NFL and NBA and, you know, kind of the, the major American sports, especially I'm sure, you know, sit, sit around on a Sunday and, and watch, watch a game with, with your, you know, with your crew. But did you follow cycling at all? Or did you know anything about cycling at the time? No, I didn't know anything about cycling at the time. Um, and I didn't really follow like the major sports either. I mean, I was still pretty much into into rock climbing and and uh, snowboarding. So then I, when I wasn't doing that, when I wasn't doing marine stuff or deployed or training, because I had a kind of really, I had a really intense job in the military. Um, yeah, I mean, we would sit around some days and and do that, but I didn't really follow those sports. So I was kind of always on, you know, looking for something different. Um, and then when I started dating my wife in 2011 in 2012 she was a cyclist and we met at a rock climbing gym and in order to ride with her she was like you should get a bike you should get a bike you should get a bike I'm like, no, I'm gonna do that I'm not gonna do that and then eventually she convinced me to get a bike um and it kind of sat for a long time and then i'd ride it and i was like oh, this is kind of cool this is kind of cool like I can really go hard and this is great training. Um, I worked in uh, the counterintelligence, human intelligence field. So we had to be ready to deploy with any unit in the military. Uh, And I ended up getting tasked to some special operations unit uh, based on my fitness. And so then I kind of started riding a little bit. And then once we moved to Utah, she was like, you should do that a little bit more, a little bit more. And she, she kind of got me into it. Um, I was kind of more like, I thought mountain biking was cooler. I was like, yeah, I would mountain bike. This is way cooler. It could be a yeah. mountains, kind of like cool guy sport, you know? Um, but it wasn't until grad school when I kind of started uh, going with the veterans community and doing these cycling rides, uh, focusing on my mental health that I got into cycling. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, there's, been so much, I guess, evidence. And I guess we've seen, you know, the, you know, people coming out of the military, you know, as you mentioned, you know, PTSD, just mental, mental health and, you know, being surrounded by people who have also gone through a similar, 
experience to you? You know, I did Cape Epic this year and by no means am I comparing professional cycling to the military, but, you know, I was hanging out with some ex-pros and it was like amazing how easy it is for us to talk with each other just because you, 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 you know, there's no backstory, you know, you've been there, you've done that, you know, and I'm sure in your life, you know, the, when you have left the military, you know, then coming back and finding something different to do with that group of people, I mean, sure had to have been incredibly helpful just to find people with, you know, similar life experience to be able to share, you know, something new with, and that for you was, was cycling. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that people have a hard time with when they get out of the military is that loss of sense of community. You you hear it all the time. Sebastian Younger wrote that book about it called Tribe, um, and it does it does really take a toll on you when you get out and you have been like in this thing that is your entire life, and everybody around you does the same thing, and now you're spread to the winds, and you're like, oh, but no one around me does the same thing, and then you kind of find a sport, and a sport like cycling or even rock climbing, or I say surfing sometimes because that's kind of like a really community, like lifestyle sport. These more lifestyle sports, um, you you form a community and a bond. And then when you add that layer of being, you know, veterans and you're all pushing each other and doing something difficult and relying on each other to make it down the coast to California, then the bonds just get better and it gets deeper and the connection gets deeper. Yeah. Well, and you had mentioned, you know, obviously, you know, having had several TBIs during your deployments and then, you know, then these, you know, this stroke as well, and I guess two strokes, was that something you were just completely unaware that you would, I mean, and, you know, I guess we're seeing it's more talked about in, you know, in cycling, in NFL, in rugby, in, you know, soccer, you know, head injuries are a real thing, but I'm sure at the time, you know, not that long ago, but when you were, you know, deployed, you know, we, can you recall when you, had these concussions or was it very much like, you know, it happened and you just kind of get on with, get on with the day? I mean, it's both. I definitely remember a few of them, but there comes a point, you know, when they're just like, oh, tough it out, Marine. You know, like you got your bell rung and you're just like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then, you know, even, even more so when you get a mild TBI or a concussion and, then all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, there's a stigma that comes with saying, no, I think I'd hurt. Then you're out of the fight. They take you out of your job. And what I did, you know, I was the, the only human intelligence collector in an entire area. So if I left, you know, sources warning American troops of IEDs or incoming attacks or where, you know, quote unquote bad guys were, that all dries up if I leave. Yeah. And it's really hard to put somebody in and rebuild that rapport with all those, you know, people who are risking their lives to tell you information. And and so you, you just suck it up. Um, And it's just, it is the culture. And especially back, you know, my first appointment was 2007. We didn't really know a lot about TBIs back then in the military. You just, you just dealt with it. You just, Oh no, I'm tough. I can deal with it. And you just keep going. And now, like, I try to tell anybody I know, like, a lot of the guys I was with are still in and retiring. And I'm like, get an MRI. Just go get your brain checked because you don't know what's going to come in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, I mean, I don't know how much you know about my 
life story. And I mean, but I, you know, I, my first major concussion was in 2010, no helmet on, you know, the day before a big race unconscious, you know, the team coach was like, Hey, you know, we got to get you back to the hotel before the ambulance shows up. Cause or else you're not going to be able to race tomorrow. You know, I was 19. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is a big race. I got to suck it up and, and do it. You know? And like in hindsight now, especially having a kid, you know, and seeing, I'm sure similar to your kids, how many times, you know, our daughter's just under two years old, the amount of times she like falls and just hits her head. I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is horrible. But you, you do yeah. become aware of it. And, and especially in these, you know, environments where there is this mentality of, you know, tough it out. Um, but I'm curious, just, you know, you know, before you got the trike, did you have any close calls or any crashes on your bike that, you know, kind of tipped you off to be like, Hey, maybe this is too dangerous for me. I should maybe, you know, do something else. Or were you very much like, Hey, you know, this is, this is just part of the sport, you know, crashing happens and, you know, it's inevitable. There's a little bit of both actually. Like I, I tended to veer left and not know it, um, which, you know, if you're riding on the right side of a road, in the u.s and you veer left by accident or you know you're wobbly and all of a sudden you're out now you're out in traffic and i would have riders like my friends around here would ride on my left side and like kind of shoulder me back in um so that was one of the things that i noticed um and then all the other veterans going oh yeah yeah dude you either ride like in front of us or behind (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know like don't ride next to me like um and then, yeah, and then just, yeah, I went down a couple of times and I was like, oh, it's just because, you know, it's skinny tires and I didn't like, um, I cracked one helmet at one point. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, that's just part of, part of it. You know, and like watch the tour and there's like crashes all the time. This is just part of the sport. But, uh, and at that point I didn't really know I had those brain injuries. And I think one of the things that affected me was, you know, toughing out something like a blast or or being hit or hitting your head somehow in the military and then being like i'm okay and then two days later being in another blast yeah the rep- yeah the repetition yeah. of yeah two yep. two big hits you know in yeah. close proximity is like the war i mean from what i've spoken to doctors like that's what you absolutely want to avoid is if you're already compromised yep. having something again within sometimes even within three months you know not just two yep. days yeah. yeah. So when you're on a six month deployment cycle, I mean, it happened in like once a week. Yeah. You know, some worse than others, but yeah. And I think that's where it affected my balance. And then once I finally talked to a doctor, talked to a neurologist, he gave me an MRI. And literally the next morning at 8 a.m., I got a call from the neurologist. He was like, Hey, there's a big old hole in your center balance. What happened? Wow. Goodness. Yeah. And, and so then when you, you know, eventually, you know, your coach, you know, kind of pointed you in the direction of, of the trike and you kind of went down this, you know, paracycling pathway. I mean, was this something you had expected? I mean, right now you're currently wearing, you know, team USA sweatshirt. I'm not sure if that's from paracycling or just from, you know, your connection at Nike, but you know, it, it, it almost kind of seems like in a way, a second beginning to life for you, you know, obviously coming out of the military with that, you know, that camaraderie and that you know, strong sense of purpose, you know, and then you, you know, you leave that, you, you know, obviously have a family to look after and, you know, life goes on, but I would have imagined that you didn't expect to be where you are now, you know, traveling the world as a, you know, as a world champion and, you know, Olympic, you know, Olympic hopeful for 2024 in Paris. Yeah, no, I didn't. And I, I thought paracycling races would be like, cool, you know, to do. 
And then I did that first trike race. Um, and I was like, Oh, maybe I can do this. And at that first trike race, um, it was on my, I was with, I, I stayed in an Airbnb with Sean who got me into this, you know, two and a half years before she had done all these rides with me. And she was like, you should have been on this trike ages ago. Like I'll ride next to you now. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, and then I did that race and I won. Uh, and then they immediately sent me, um, and then we did Olympic trials and I won my category in that, but unfortunately they only had two open spots. Uh, and I was forced on the overall list. So I missed out on Tokyo. Um, but yeah, no, did I expect this? Like when I came out of the military, no way, no way did I think I'd be riding a three wheel bike, like on the world stage. And then just watching, you know, cycling and learning about the sport and just being all in on it. And now like I'm wearing a rainbow Jersey. It's like, wow. It's hard to believe almost. Yeah. Well, and I guess I should, I should have prefaced this by saying, you know, you won the world, I guess the most recent world championships in Glasgow where they had the, the super worlds, um, yep. you won over there and I mean, yeah, took home, which is every, you know, growing up as a fan of cycling myself, you know, the rainbow Jersey is so iconic, you know, you now, you know, have it. Um, but what, what were the super worlds like? Cause there's two other athletes who I know fairly well, uh, Clara Brown and Travis Gardner who were over there as, um, as well for the, for the pair of games, which were, you know, all kind of clumped together with, you know, there was mountain biking, there was road, there was, you know, it was kind of the first time they'd tried this super worlds. What was, what was the experience like over there? Cause I unfortunately didn't get a chance to go, but I heard both kind of positive and negative things about, you know, kind of how hectic and chaotic it was, you know, with so many athletes, you know, in different places. Yeah. So the super worlds was insane. Like having everything there was really cool. Um, when they advertised it, it was like, Oh, it's all going to be in Glasgow. And we we're like, wow, we're going to be with the pros and this is going to be amazing. And then once we found out we we're actually like two and a half hours South of Glasgow in the town called Dumfries. So we didn't actually get to go up and like, see the pro race and see all of those things para was where they held the para races you know they held the mountain bike races yeah. north of glasgow and all over but we were pretty far south um but i think it being a super world gave us way more tv coverage for paracycling which we don't typically get which was fantastic for like friends and family back home it was on like we, I would turn on BBC at night and like our para races mm -hmm. were on in the UK, which that never happens. Like we might get an internet stream, um, but it was like fully integrated into the whole super worlds, which was fantastic. Um, so having paracyclists away from the main event, I think actually was okay because it seemed more like a normal race. Um, we just had bigger stages and more TV cameras. And so that made it a little more intense. Uh, but overall it was, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as someone, you know, who I follow cycling fairly closely, you know, I, I, to be just frank, I, you know, I struggle to follow all disciplines of cycling. You know, I don't follow track much. I don't follow mountain biking hardly. You know, I, I mean, as you mentioned, paracycling can be really hard to follow if you don't kind of know where, where to view it, where to follow results, you know. Um, but it, it oftentimes can also be somewhat, complicated in the sense of the the categories you know and this is one thing i've spoken to to clara about you know there there are all sorts of different 
categories. And obviously, you know, with, with the Olympics coming up next year, are you able to elaborate a little bit on, on the different categories of, you know, I guess of, you know, competition and kind of where you get placed, where, where you are versus, you know, Claire is in a different category and Travis is, you know, doing hand cycle. So, you know, there's athletes of all different, you know, categories all competing in, you know, everything gets lumped together in, you know, the pair of games, but athletes are competing of all different, you know, abilities and, you know, really categories as well. Yeah. So the different categories in paracycling um, are based on your severity of disability and what your disability is. So there's technically 12 categories, um, 12 men, 12 women. Um, So there's speed categories for cycle one through five and five being the least impaired that can ride a two-wheel bicycle, one being the most severe impaired that can ride a two-wheel bicycle. Same with H, that would be hand cycles. You know, one being most impaired, five being least impaired. Um, And like in five, you'll see that they're actually like more up on their knees because they have full core. Whereas like H1, hand cycle one, they're full quadriplegics. Like they can't actually even hold on to the hand cycles. They have to clip their hands in and like their triceps. They don't really have a lot of tricep strength. So just based on severity of the disability. Um, so H1 through 5, C1 through 5, and then there's E, which is trike 1 and 2. Um, and so I fall in T2. So okay. the least impaired of the two trike categories. And trikes are there based because we have some sort of disability that it affects our balance and we can't ride a two wheel bicycle. Yeah. Well, and I, and I saw, you know, on the internet, I saw your bicycle. It looks, I mean, it's all, it looks awesome. You know, I was thinking it was gonna be like a whole different, you know, you'd have to get something custom made, but it's literally, it looks like it's just an, an adapter that kind of fits through the through axle and you can take, it seems like a normal bike and essentially you just put the tricycle adapter on the rear end and the front is the complete, I mean, looks the same to me. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I have an Argon 18 bike because that's what Project Echelon, the kind of team that supports me, rides. Um, and it's it's an adapter. It's a normal bike. Back wheel comes off and that's where the adapter attaches. Uh, and then you just have to run dual brakes to the back with like a splitter. Uh, but yeah, makes it interesting because it doesn't articulate and you can't lean it. Yeah. Well, so I was, I, I was uh, as I was like, you know, looking at some pictures, I started to think about that. I'm like, how would that be in like a really tight turn? Because yeah, obviously, you know, with just G forces, you have to turn the hand- I mean, handlebars. And obviously, you know, when you're going fast, people don't realize you don't actually turn your handlebars that much. You're kind of leaning and using, you know, the lean of the bike to turn you, but you, you know, you're unable to do that because you've got two wheels in the back. Does it, it I mean, it has to be somewhat scary if you're, if you really pick up speed and hit a, hit a tight turn. Yeah, so typically we slow down quite a bit for turns, um, but we do kind of do like if you see some pictures on my Instagram or on my website, you'll see like all of us like leaning like moto like moto GP leaning like off the side, and that's just to counterbalance the weight. Um, but they do like they are tippy. They're like those old three wheelers that like, they made illegal because they tipped over too easy. Yeah, those three wheel ATVs. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like the bicycle version of that. And then you have all the guys who have balance issues and we're like, go race in a, in a, you know, in a mass start. So trike races can be kind of chaotic. Um, typically there is a crash in every, t- in every trike race. Um, and the running joke, like with some of the guys on the team is like, we should do trike 
crits because we <laughs> we get those sponsored by Red Bull. Yeah, like single speed trike crit. Yeah. Red Bull be all over it. Yeah, yeah, um, would be exciting because they do they do tip. So we typically slow down on the turns, and yeah, you got to turn the handlebars. So it took me. So I did that first uh, race in 2021 and just got smoked by everybody who had been racing trikes because they could all turn. And I realized I got to learn how to turn this thing with some speed. So I basically spent like the next entire year, like that entire off season, just practicing turns, practicing. I would go in a parking lot and just do like figure eights or set up cones and see how I could turn around them. And um, yeah, just focused on on turning and and bike handling and it's actually helped me out quite a bit in my races well and that's another thing i wanted to to ask about is you know you've had a also a relatively quick rise to success you know oftentimes cycling can be a sport that you know takes years to kind of get into i mean clearly you know physically you are fit you know just from your time in the military the rock climbing you yeah. know, snowboarding like you've you've lived a life of of activity um you know, what, what does your training look like to prepare for these events? I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're clearly putting in the time and the hours cause you know, you've won the, won the rainbow Jersey. So you've been putting in the training. What does your kind of training regime look like? Yeah. So I think you would actually be surprised. It's not as much, it's not as many hours as a lot of other cyclists put in, um, just simply because my nervous system can't handle huge loads. Like if I go too hard or too long or do like a 20 hour week, like I, I can't walk at that point. Like I have trouble, like walk, like I can barely hold something um, if I do too much. So I typically train between like eight and 12 hours a week on the bike, um, plus stretching and core workouts and whatnot. Uh, you know, I live in rainy Portland. So majority of my training is on the indoor trainer. Mm-hmm just in my garage. Um, luckily my kids are now in elementary school and once they went to school, that was a huge bump in my training. And because I was unable to kind of like get them off to school, focus on training, you know, for two hours a day and then do my, the rest of my stay at home dad duties after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to the day. Our, it's still years away. My wife is is pregnant again, so I got time before I make my second yeah. comeback and have all this free time in the middle of the day. Um, but I mean, as you as you you know, you kind of mentioned there, you know, quantifying your training to obviously you know still be healthy and in day to day life. Is that something you work with your coach to to balance? Is it something that you know? Can you look at you know your training and see kind of know the upper threshold of what you're capable of doing without kind of, you know, pushing over the edge or is it very, you know, if, if there are other stressors in your life, you know, the kids are sick or, you know, you didn't get enough sleep. Is your training very, uh, I guess, are you adapting it, you know, kind of constantly just to kind of make sure that you're staying healthy while still optimizing the time that you are spending training? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, when you go, when you start elementary school and I don't know if your kids have made it to preschool, they're like, here, welcome to the first day of elementary school, and here is a virus. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Up, right? yeah like, constant. Your kid is re- <laughs> so, like, I get sick a lot with colds from just from my kids, and it's just part of being a parent of young elementary school kids. Um, but I do with, work with my coach almost almost every day. We're in contact, 
Um, and he's looking at, you know, my training peaks account and looking and prescribing everything. And he's really hands-on with me because he knows like my body might like just start shutting down or I might have something going on or that affects my training worse. Like the kids were up at night and I didn't get a lot of sleep and then he can see it in my workout that day. But you know, then I just sent him a note, Hey, I didn't sleep well. And that's what this is. Um, and it is really hard for me when I don't like do well. And even like a single workout, I get like upset. And I'm like, ah, oh, why am I even doing yeah. this? I shouldn't even bother. Um, and, but, uh, just working with him. And then I work, uh, also through the Paralympic team, a sports psychologist that helps me out with that side of it. Uh, but just maintaining that balance and he's, he's always in contact with me. Yeah. Well, and you know, I assume this year is slowly starting to wind down, but you know, 2024 is coming up quick and you know, obviously there's a, there's a qualification process to be able to go to, to the Paris Olympics, which I, I mean, I guess I don't even have to assume. I know it's a big goal. I mean, it's a big goal for any athlete. I mean, for anyone, you know, the Olympics are kind of the, the crown jewel of sport. Um, you know, what does it look like getting there? I know that the, the qualification process isn't fully kind of figured out yet, but, you know, are you in a little bit of a, a downtime before kind of picking up for, for next season? Well, typically I would be in a downtime right now, but I qualified uh, to go to the Pan American Games, which is right over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, so I had two, the last two weeks off and now I'm just back on it getting ready for that and then i'll probably take a little time off you know after that but my downtime is going to be pretty cut short yeah this year and then, and then yeah well i mean i guess i was just going to say like so this this process of qualifying for the olympics and, it, and it's different in every sport and i know that you know cycling there's all sorts of hoops to jump through you know whether it's you know national championships as a qualifier there's qualifying races or is it international points how does it look for for you and qualifying for paris 2024 I mean, I hope it's looking pretty good right now. I'm, yeah, having that uh, rainbow jersey is not like an automatic. Yeah. Like, hey, you're you're in. <laughs> you won the world no, championships. Like, I, I wish, I wish, because um, basically what we have to do is, as a team, Team USA, we have to earn points. All the all the national federations earn points, and then based on what you have, like, I think it's like around July first, twenty twenty four. They then the UCI and the IPC give out how many spots you will get based on your ranking of country. And I think we're in third USA is in third place right now. Um, so we have to qualify points as a team, um, based on our placings. Uh, and then we learn how many spots we're going to get. But then like the tricky part comes in with paracycling. They do this crazy thing called ring fencing where Say we are in 10 spots. They will come to us and say, hey, in order to make every category viable, they'll do this to every country. Uh, Team USA, you have to bring an H2, an H5, you know, men, a T2, and a, I don't know, B1. And that's called ring fit. So automatically, we have to put somebody in that category. So... That's even before we had some sort of open trials. So wow. boom, there's four of the 10 spots gone. So if my spot, if they say, hey, T2 is a ring fenced spot, 
then most likely I will get that spot because of I'm at the top of the rankings list. Okay. So then, yeah, so then, but that is also 10 spots split between road and track. So we might say, okay, we're going to take four track riders and six road riders. And then, hey, we, you know, hey, we have to bring H1, H5, and T2. That leaves three spots open for people to qualify for. Wow. So is it is it technically possible where, you know, your category isn't even... I mean, I guess there has to be every category at the race, but but technically where they, I mean, for whatever reason, there would be no spots for you even available to take. Is that technically or that is a, it, that it is, is possible. a possibility like we, they could get down to the point where we have, there has to be one or two open spots, um, probably at least one uh, that we would then have, we could like have an open qualifying event and, and qualify for. But yeah, it is possible that mine doesn't get selected because, you know, there's 12 categories. So it's likely mine doesn't get selected. Other ones do. And then we get to that qualifying event. Everyone's going out of all the categories for that one spot. And you drop a chain, you get a flat tire and it's all based on the time trial. And so then boom, there it goes right there. So I could literally go to every single World Cup and win every race in the next, you know, for the next season. And then just based on the administrative poopla, like the administrative stuff, not make it Yeah, just because there wouldn't be a spot. Not because I didn't like have the ability. Yeah. Well, and that's gotta be incredibly frustrating, man. Even I know in on, well, I guess on the road, I guess in, from the IOC, there's something similar on, I guess I won't say the road on cycling, you know, if they add a new BMX event, well, the IOC is told, you know, the UCI, Hey, you guys have 15 disciplines or whatever it may be, you know? So if we had BMX or freestyle downhill mountain biking, they have to take away an event from, from track cycling or from, you know, road cycling, you know, there has to be, they only are allotted so many, I guess, different disciplines within a sport. And so if they add something else, something else comes away, it sounds like in some ways it's kind of similar where, you know, things can be added, but also equally can be taken away and there can be, you know, a loss of, of category. Yeah, there could be, you know, we, we could like, I don't know, do terrible in the next world cups and not earn very many points. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, we're sticks on that ranking list and we only get seven spots. Yeah. And then that's got to be split between track and road and then they ring fence and then there's, you know, one spot yeah. that everybody can qualify for. I mean, it, it's fascinating. Like I said, it's, I mean, a sport that I wish I could follow more. I mean, and, and maybe that's a good question for you. I mean, how, how can people who are fans of, you know, sport, how can, how can I follow, you know, kind of your progress and, you know, I guess Team USA's progress leading up to Paris, you know, what's the best avenue for us to, you know, kind of get behind you and, and follow your story, but everyone else and kind of the progress and the qualification. And then obviously the, the games are probably the easiest thing to follow because, you know, they're televised, but I'm sure the, you know, random national qualification in Iowa isn't, isn't going to be on TV and it's probably a little bit obscure yeah. to find. Yeah, definitely. Um, us paracycling. Like I think it's us paracycling.org is the website for the team. Uh, and they do a good job of posting and, stories and uh, keeping everybody up to date on that 
uh, also on their social media channels. Um, the official Team USA is like at Team USA. Um, they will post for paracycling when we have events. Um, and then everybody can follow me. It's pretty easy. DC, Dennis Connors, DC rides trikes on and pretty much Instagram and, and Facebook. I don't, I don't really like, I'm not really good at TikTok dances and stuff. So I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Oh, you got to get on to that. Well, that's what, you're, that's what your kids want to see. I want to see daddy doing dances. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, I guess the way to kind of wrap this up is where do you see your career going? I mean, obviously you've, you know, you have a rainbow jersey, you know, obviously the Olympics are a huge goal. Is, is Paris, you know, let's say you make it to Paris and you, you know, you take a medal. Is that the end for you? Or is, I mean, is this career in a sense? I mean, you've only been doing this a couple of years, but you know, you've found a lot of su- success. What is the long-term goal with this? I mean, when do you, do you see an end or is it very much like, Hey, you're just, you're on this ride. You didn't expect it. And let's see where it takes you. So I would definitely like, yeah, Paris, Paris is the goal for sure for next year. Um, but then, you know, the next Paralympics after that, it's a home, home court. So it's down in LA and being from Southern California myself, you know, born down there, I would love to compete in that as well. Um, it's going to be interesting because they're considering putting para rock climbing in Mm. that game. Um, and I am on the U.S. para rock climbing team. It is not a Paralympic sport, so it's not officially a Team USA sport. Para, the para side, the, the able body side is. Um, but yeah, I would love to compete in L.A. Um, but then even after that, 2032 is in Brisbane, Australia. So that's like three pretty cool locations. Um, I don't know if I have that in me. That's a lot to go, you know, for three Paralympic games. Um, but I see this as now my career, like, and I'm in my second year of it, really. Like 2022 was kind of my first season. I did a World Cup. I didn't do any. I did one international race in 2021. It was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do this. And then really 2022 is my first season. Now just finishing up 23 and then going into games in 24. Um, but yeah, and then just that, that side of it. And then... I'm also trying to get into the public speaking side of the house, uh, sharing my story, um, showing people that like you can keep going. And especially if you find something you love in a community you love, no matter what gets in your way, there's always a way to uh, adapt and overcome, you know, like that old Marine saying, adapt and overcome. But it's true. And there is a way to do it. And I'm living proof. And everybody on my team is living proof that you can continue to push and pursue your own passions and goals at, at the highest levels. Well, I think that's a great place to end it, Dennis. Um, I appreciate it. It's hard for me to follow up on that, but yeah, no, it, it, it is true. And I, I, you know, I, you know, have a lot of respect for, for you and the whole, you know, us para team. And I mean, obviously just what you guys did in, in Glasgow and looking forward to following along and seeing what, uh, what you guys can all hopefully accomplish in, in Paris. 2024 and who knows i mean who knows maybe we'll be following you all the way through la all the way to brisbane maybe this will be one of one of many many podcasts kind of following your journey so i appreciate the time yeah thanks and i appreciate you having me on well there we have it folks another episode of breakfast with boz being served by wahoo i hope you enjoyed today's episode and my talk with dennis connor's 
As I was saying, it's not always easy to follow the world of paracycling and maybe something I'll try and do a better job of on Breakfast with Boz in 2024, especially in the run-up and around the Olympic Games in Paris. I'm friends with a number of American paracyclists, Clara Brown, now with Dennis and Travis Gardner. So maybe something that I can uh, try to bring a little bit more coverage to in the coming year. So with that, folks, I hope you all enjoyed. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll catch you back here on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. And once again, thank you to my friend over in the UK, Tom Wally, for editing and producing this episode.